Amen. Turn with me if you've got your Bible to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4. If you remember last week, we talked about Elijah and Elisha. How there was a transfer that was there and Elisha was following Elijah. He was a prophet in training. And uh, he chose to follow the prophet no matter what was going on. We're going to continue to follow for the next several weeks prophets. And we're, we're continuing following Elisha. And so the book of 2 Kings chapter 4 is where we're going to be. I do want to mention that um, I believe it was Thursday that our ladies had the Bible study. It was awesome. Just awesome. I got to, you might say, Brother Ryan, why were you involved with that? Well, I was just the tech guy. I told, I told them ladies, I was running the camera thing. I said, I'm just here to make y'all look good. But I got to kind of witness what was going on. And I tell you what, our ladies are on fire. And it was just an awesome deal. And I know that not everybody could get connected. It's the first time we did it. And so it was just kind of everybody's learning. We're going to try to get everybody into that, hopefully next time. And we're going to get it figured out, okay? But if you're a lady and you weren't a part of that, you're going to want to be for the next one. I just think it's awesome. Just complimenting our ladies this morning. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets, you remember those delightful sons of the prophets we read about last week, cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. It's important to note that this small flask held olive oil that was probably not intended for food or fuel or fire, but most likely for anointing. And this small flask was not very valuable monetarily, but it was what she had is what the scripture's telling us. Nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not just gather a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. This is another part of the story in the prophet's life. You, if you read in 2 Kings and even in other books where prophets are involved, it seems not a whole lot different from the walk of Jesus. It was just like an event after an event after an event where something miraculous would take place. And this is what we're <clears throat> going to talk about this morning. Our title is Miraculous Multiplication. That's what happened in this story. It's what God did. Understand, 
understand this morning, this is very important. I talked a little bit about it last week. It's not the man, Elisha, that's doing this, but it's the power of God working through the prophet Elijah. Elisha. We don't get stuck on the person because that God used them to do it. Okay? So somebody prophesies in church this morning or tongues go forth and there's an interpretation. We don't make a mural of that person because that happened. You understand what I'm saying? We don't lift up that person so high because we understand that it's God working through them. And we thank God and we thank them that they were available to be used for that. But it ain't about the person. It's about the power of God working through the person. Can I have an amen this morning? And so that's exactly what was happening. The, the general idea of, of what we just read is that there was a serious social issue that was going on with this woman that God addressed through a child of God. God cares about the issues of life. God cares, including the major issues of our world. From the prayer of a school student about a test that's coming up this week to the prayer from a seasoned saint about a deadly disease or health issue, God cares about all of that. He cares. And that's why we pray, because we know that he cares. And falling under all of that is every major world issue that you're hearing about today. God cares about all of it. I know it's easy. It's easy to uh, get bogged down by all that to the point where you're just tired of hearing it. Has anybody got there yet? I've seen, uh, I've seen a picture that somebody shared and it said something like how to get rid of COVID-19. And it showed a picture of a guy putting his television in the trash can. Now, that's, you know, it's a joke because it's a serious thing that we need to pay attention to. But at the same time, you can just poison your mind with everything that's going on in the world to where you're bogged down. There's nothing else that you're taking in but that. That don't need to be the case this morning. You need to take in more than the events that are going on in our world. But God cares about those things. And we need to pray about those things for the sick. COVID-19, for the division that's going on in our world. There's a lot of division, political. We need to pray that the Lord would bring us together as a nation. We can pray for the violence and the hatred that's in our world. There's a lot of that going on, and it ought not be. And we need to pray about that. Some of it is racial, and that's a very real thing. You know, whether you realize it or not, there, there are some people, there are some people that are in this world today that have racial hatred. And I'm not here to preach a message about this this morning, but I can tell you this, there's plenty in this word that covers that. Racism's a sin. It is. And God recognizes all these things, the sickness, the division, the hatred, the violence, all of that 
God sees it and he cares about it. Okay, don't think that the Lord doesn't see all that today. And God's not silent about it. He's not silent to all of these problems, to every single issue. He has provided an answer. You know what the answer is? It's the church. He already provided an answer to every bit of it. It's so very evident that everything going on all around us is the evidence of the end times. And I really do believe that. Is prophesied of, and we're seeing it play out before our eyes. And to every problem that we're seeing, there is an apostolic, God-ordained answer to it. We are God's answer in the church. We're the answer to all these problems. Without the church, the world doesn't stand a chance of what it's up against right now. If you remove the church from this, the problem is going to be far worse than what you ever imagined. But there are, there are some people that are praying. There's people that are praying and God cares. So you've got a social issue that this woman's experiencing. Scripture tells us that the husband was a member of the sons of the prophets. We hear about these young men, the sons of prophets. Sometimes there's a, a phrase or something pops up in the Bible that kind of throws you off. You're not sure what it means or what it's referring to. These sons of the prophets are mentioned several times in First and Second Kings and each group was led by the same prophet. And when he died, another member, or, or whether he was taken like Elijah, Elijah didn't die, he was taken up by the Lord. Another member came into his place. In this case, it was Elisha. Elisha was now the, the, uh, the prophet that these young men followed. And it was like a guild. These sons of the prophets learned from that prophet. They followed him, watched what he did. And really, it's not a whole lot different from a Bible college today. Honestly, that's pretty much what it was. These were ministers that were in training. They were learning. They were being taught how you're supposed to carry yourself, how you're supposed to deal with this issue. And here's what the Lord says about this. And this is why we don't do that. And they were being taught about all these things. Now, these men had homes still. They had families and responsibilities like the regular person as we're seeing in this woman and her family here. And although the deceased husband is not named in scripture, we don't even have a name of the family really, there are at least two historical sources that tell us, seem to identify the son of the prophet, this family as Obadiah. Now there's a lot of debate about which Obadiah because there's about 12 Obadiahs at this time in scripture. And so we just know that it's probably the family of Obadiah. And we know that he would borrow money. He said creditors, remember, he owes a debt to somebody. He would borrow money to buy food for the prophets. Okay? So he wasn't going out and saying, I want to borrow money for my new yacht. It wasn't anything like that. He was, I'm going to go borrow money so the prophets can eat. And so he had a good reason for what he was doing. And this may explain why the widow went to Elisha with the problem because Elisha would surely know about what he did for prophets. And she approached Elisha with the language that seems to imply that he had a good reason for taking on the debt. She said, thy servant is dead and you know he did fear the Lord. And the creditors were coming. While we don't know 100% the identity of these people, we're completely cert certain that she was the wife of a prophet who had died. And 
left her strapped with debt. And she had sold everything of value that she had and still lacked enough to pay the creditors. And when she came to Elisha, he did not offer immediate help. He didn't just snap his fingers and it was complete and done at that moment. But what's very interesting that we need to pay attention to this morning is that he wanted to find out if the widow had any available resources. That was how he addressed this to begin with. You remember she had sold everything to try to pay these creditors already. So she didn't have much if she had anything, probably just enough to get by with her children. And it's important that we understand the terms of this debt also. The creditors in our story here were demanding the remaining balance of the debt, which evidently was a ton of money, to be paid by the involuntary servitude, really the, the slavery of her sons. That's what they were suggesting. Now, back then, it was Jewish law. This was acceptable. But I want you to imagine today that you had a loan on a house that you lost your job or whatever. You could not no longer pay that. And the creditors, the bank was demanding, we want your kids. That's, that's difficult. And obviously that's not going to happen today. But back then it was acceptable. And it was going to be paid somehow. And so this is what she was facing. She's going to lose her sons for some amount of time to be slaves to whoever these creditors were. What a predicament that this woman was in. Surely they never intended the husband and the wife for it to ever come to this. But here we are. We already know that debt is really a wager that conditions will remain constant. That's really what it is. You're telling whoever's giving you that loan, I really believe that my income is going to stay the same and I'm going to be able to pay this. That doesn't always happen. And so all debt carries some hidden risk in it somewhere. Situations are subject to change at any moment. And really all life is subject to change at any moment. If I could caption, put a caption underneath 2020, I think I would say life is subject to change because that's exactly what we've experienced this year. If, if there's ever been a year where things changed the most, it's probably this year. You're going to see far less handshakes for the rest of your life. You've already seen the majority of handshakes in your life. You've probably seen the majority of hugs in your life already because of what has happened in our world. The world has changed because life is subject to change, including this woman's life. She was in desperation. And to calm that, Elisha asked a question. What do you have in the house? In other words, he wanted to take inventory. Her claim is, I don't have anything to solve this. His question is, what do you have? 
And so he comes in to do a resource evaluation. And when you're in the middle of trouble and you're panicked, the panic can really skew your thinking. Anybody ever dealt with a, a big situation and it was so much to deal with that you made the wrong decision out of your nervousness or your panic? That's really easy to do. We're human beings and we panic a lot of times when things get too much for us to bear. And when things started going wrong in our lives, our first instinct is to use words like always and never, as in it'll never work out. And everything always goes wrong like this. We take it to the extreme in our panic and those words don't help us find a solution. They don't encourage us. They don't get us anywhere. Most often we want and expect instant help from God from resources other than our own. And matter of fact, what we love to do, what we love to do with the Lord is go ahead and explain to him how he's going to help us. You know what I mean? We go ahead and pray and say, Lord, I really need this to happen. So could you just follow points A, B, C, D, E? And, and I figure that'll take care of it. And it don't involve much of our effort at that point. And, and granted, there are times when we don't, there's nothing we can do, right? When you're behind the steering wheel and there's a vehicle coming head on at you and you pray that quick prayer, there is nothing you can do. It's in the hands of the Lord at that point. But it's not always that way. Sometimes God may have placed in our lives exactly what is needed to solve this problem. Sometimes that's the case. I heard uh, a seasoned minister say one time talking about how somebody got a word from the Lord. Explaining to them something that was going to happen, something that they needed to do. And then nothing really changed and it went on months and months and this same person's praying in the altar, Lord, Lord, I need something to change. I need a word from you. I need a word from you. And they'd pray that and pray that and weep. And they come to the, the, uh, the minister, the pastor, and they said, why is it that nothing is changing? And he told them, he said, well, the Lord a lot of times does not give another word until you have followed the original word that he gave you back then. He's waiting to respond again. He'd like to give you some more instruction or reveal more to you. But we got to obey what God originally said. And there's, there's times when God has placed the resources in our life. Everything is there. We just have to be willing to work with it to see what God will do. Trust him for what he can do. We expect this instant help from resources other than our own and we suggest different solutions. I want to present you with a different option today. What if we surveyed what we do have? What is available to us? What we can use? What do we have to work with? Perhaps we already have in possession the elements of our own deliverance. Oh, it would be easy. It would be so easy this morning to go ahead 
and stamp this is the end of 2020 and tuck our tails and decide that this is just the way it's going to be. It's going to be difficult. You could accept that. You could have that kind of attitude. Or we can choose to believe that God already knew this was going to happen. He knew there was going to be a COVID-19. He knew there was going to be a year 2020. He knew there was going to be division. He knew there was going to be unrest. And he put the church here anyway for a reason. It's a matter of perspective this morning. I want to point out another thing in this story here. The man who had passed away, one of the sons of the prophets, may have left his wife and sons deep in debt, but he left something far more valuable than gold with them, and that was a testimony and a legacy that he feared God. Now, that's, that is powerful this morning. I just want to stop here for a second and let somebody know that you may not have a whole lot of material things in this world. You may not have a fat bank account, and that's okay, because if you're serving God, you've got all you need. Somebody help me out this morning. I know a lot of people, I've met a lot of people that don't have very much, but they've got way more than a lot of people in this world because they've been faithful to God. And even when it was down to the bottom of the barrel and they didn't know where it was going to come from next, they were still faithful to God. And you know what? God was faithful to them. And He came through when they needed it. I can't remember how many times I've heard the story told of my granddad who worked in construction. Worked in construction. And uh, also on the side, he's... Starting up churches here. He's starting a church there. And he'd move on and start a church here. And they did a lot of moving around. And it wasn't all the time that they had all the money that they needed. And when that time came, he would go out into the garage and he would find something, some tool or machine or something that they had of value. And he'd sell it. Not so that they didn't have money in hand that they could use on what they need. He'd put it in an offering plate. Because he believed that God would take care of them. And he always did. Because if we're faithful to God, and that took faith. That took faith. If we're faithful to God, he'll be faithful to us. That doesn't exclude 2020 and COVID-19. In the middle of that, if you'll be faithful to God, he'll be faithful to you. Now, I really believe that this morning. Why should I believe that God would fail me when he hadn't failed me yet? He'll keep me in the middle of this too. This man had a testimony. He feared God. He was faithful to God. You may not have a whole lot today, but if you're just living for God, you got more than you think you do. Poverty of things can be endured if somebody has an anointing of oil. You hear that this morning? You can deal without having a whole lot of things if you've got an anointing of oil. That anointing of oil means something today. Something else that I'm seeing in this chapter is the Lord helps unnamed, ordinary, everyday people. He don't just bless Elisha or Elijah, or some other prophet, or some king. 
Yeah, he did that. In our Bible, we learn lessons from both positive and negative kings and prophets. People that was doing right and people that wasn't doing right. We learn lessons in our Bible from both of them. But we also learn lessons, both positive and negative, from unidentified, normal people like the widow in this story. So maybe you're not the most socially known person in your community, that's all right because God will stop by for you too. You know what he did with the Ethiopian eunuch? That's one of the most degraded people in society. And he pulled Philip, who was ministering to crowds of people, preaching the revival. And the Bible says the Spirit took Philip up and sent him to the backside of the desert where one Ethiopian eunuch was sitting reading scripture to minister to him. You don't think God will come by you today. The Lord sees you this morning. He sees you and he's sent for you. Amen. To us, she may look like a nobody, but to God, she was a somebody. And her only resource was a teaspoonful of oil. In Bible times, there was no mineral oil or petroleum oil, but there was olive oil. And olives were picked before they were ripe and then pressed by foot, pestle and mortar, or by a stone press. It was work. It was work. And one tree could yield up to a half ton of oil. The tree was valuable which was then used for commerce, trading. It was used for light, anointing rituals and consecrations. People used it to tithe with. And of course, they used it for cooking. And they were specifically instructed, if you want to look at this, you can. It's in Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 11. I'm not going to read it, but they were specifically instructed that when they made sin offerings... Sacrifices, the oil was not to be used because unlike sin, oil pleases God. I'm not going to read a whole bunch of scripture on it today, but the Lord uses oil a very specific significance throughout scripture. Oil was a universal, hear this this morning, Symbol of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, that's found throughout biblical times. And so this morning, we keep in this pulpit, you know what, that's almost perfect. It's not a teaspoon, but it's not just real far from it. A bottle of oil. It was used as a symbol of the Holy Ghost. Oil was used in the tabernacle. We've talked about the tabernacle plan. It was used inside that tabernacle. Oil was used to anoint kings. David was anointed by the prophet to be a king. Even Saul was. And oil was used to pray for the sick. Now this, I want you to hear this today. Now you may already, you've heard this scripture a thousand times, but I'm gonna tell you what, I like the fact, 
I, I like the thought of being in a church that don't just do stuff because it's what we've all, always done, but we do it because it's in Scripture. Amen. Somebody will say amen. We do it not just because, well, we're the Pentecostal church and that's what they say Pentecostals do. We do it because it comes from the Word. And so you wonder why we anoint people in the altar. I'm going to read you verbatim from the Scripture why we do that. James chapter 5 and verse 14 says this. And understand, this is the New Testament church. Paul, well, actually James, is talking to the New Testament church. And he's instructing them. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The book of Isaiah says that by his stripes, we are healed. Whose stripes? The stripes of Jesus. And every time you see somebody anoint someone who is sick with the oil, it's not because of the power some great power that this oil has in itself. It's not holy oil. It's not got some, we, we haven't uh, electrocuted this oil or something goofy today. There's not something that's different about this olive oil. It's obedience to his word. That's what it is. Let them pray over, the, over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And when we put that oil on our finger and we touch that oil to their head, that oil has always been a symbol of God's spirit. What are we doing? We're invoking that the spirit touch them and heal them when we use that oil. This is God's symbol of the spirit and we want the spirit to act in their life and heal them. You can be confident today that we're in the book. We're in scripture in what we're doing. One of my first jobs was at an Italian restaurant. And at an Italian restaurant, you've got oil on the table. It's used in so much. I was shocked when I started working there how much oil was used in different things. And... There were containers of oil that sat on these tables for people to use with their bread or whatever they were eating put on. And if you've ever been a waiter or a waitress, you understand how people will complain to be complaining sometimes. They walked into that place looking for what they can complain about. I had a fellow one time and I was, you know, I worked real hard to charm whoever it was I was serving. Because that's my payday. You know what I mean? Yeah. I worked hard to make sure they felt comfortable. And it's easier when you don't have 15 tables you're working with. If it's slower, you can really work hard on, on making it you know, a good experience for them. And this particular occasion, I figured, you know, this is going to work out good. I've got two tables. And I should be able to serve them real well. And this fellow come in. And he sat down, he, he had the demeanor of a real important person, right? And so I'm thinking, oh, he's got a lot of cash in his wallet. <laughs> and so I'm doing everything that I can. And this guy 
from the moment he sat down, had something to say about everything. He really did. Uh, the soda was not mixed right. The bread was overdone. You know? And so he ordered the most standard thing on the menu. And I honestly, I don't know if he's a food critic or he thought he was a food critic. But he ordered the spaghetti with meatballs. And I served it to him. And you understand that you know, I think everybody in here, I'm not going to name it, you know, but I think everybody in this room knows what restaurant we're talking about. This, this is probably the, the most used Italian restaurant in Northeast Arkansas. It's gotten awards, you know, and, and people absolutely love it. And they'll filter in and out of that place like crazy, especially on weekends. Somebody thinks it's good. Okay. But this guy gets the spaghetti and meatballs. And by this time, I have already figured out I may get a dime from this guy. And he starts eating. And I come by to do the standard, you know, how are you enjoying your food? And he just spits, you know, he, he tells me everything he thinks about it. And I said, well, is there something that I can do for you? He said, you can go get your manager. And I said, I'll be happy to do it. Because I, I was done with it. You know, at, at this point, it's a real inconvenience for me to have to deal with this person. And so I went in the back office and I found our manager and I said, there is a guy out here who needs your assistance because I think he's done with mine. And he hadn't liked a single thing that I've given to him. And he wants to speak to a manager and he says that these meatballs are not Italian meatballs. They're not made the right way. And I just listed everything that the man said to him. And I said, I, there ain't nothing I can do with the guy. And I ain't getting a tip anyway. And he said, well, I'll go deal with him. And our manager was somebody who was able to deal with people. And he went out there and the guy in front of all the other customers just starts, I mean, tearing into him about this and that and this and that. But them meatballs are not Italian meatballs. And you know what he told him? He said, well, you can go home and make your own. And that's what he did. He kicked him out. Kicked him out. You know? But there's somebody who's got complaints for everything. You know? And there's one day that somebody come in. Somebody come in. And we got oil all on these tables, right? And then people, they'll just, I mean, they will pour that oil on that food. you know. And so we got to refilm and things. But this person come in. And they seem nice and everything. But then they stopped me and they said, I believe that your oil is expired. And I said, really? They said, yeah, your, your oil is expired. I said, okay. I'll go, uh, I'll go get somebody that can deal with this. And so I went, and I, did, I didn't think that oil could expire. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not the cook. <laughs> I can cook a bowl of cereal. And, or a burger. That's about it. And I went and, and I talked to our cook and said, this, this oil, they say it's expired. And they said, well, uh, oil can expire. And I, did, I didn't know anything about that. But it does have a, a point of time that it will expire. And so, you know, I, didn't, I don't know if it really expired or not, but we changed it out for them. We changed it out out of courtesy of the customer. And we started changing those, those containers out. And so l l let me say this this morning. 
We need fresh oil in our life. If you've been, if you had the same container of oil of the Spirit in your life for five years, it's time to get a refresher. <laughs> it's time to pour that stuff out and let the Lord fill you up with something new. And guess what? The food will taste better. Life will be better. You just need a refresher. And sometimes that's all we need. You know how many times, I'm not the pastor here, but I'm, I'm getting an idea of it. And you know how many times a pastor could just tell somebody, you just need to get refilled. Do you really understand how many times that's the best answer? Somebody mad at somebody or something going on here? Really, the answer for most of us, I found out for me anyway, is if I get far enough into the presence of God, He will reveal to me or I'll understand exactly what I need to do. Without having to find somebody else, I'll just find the direct source. Amen. You'd be a better disciple with fresh oil in your life. Have you ever tried to start a charcoal grill with old charcoal? You look like a fool standing out there trying to get a lot of things. To, and then what ends up happening is your burgers taste like lighter fluid. Because you need fresh charcoal. You need a, a fresh source of fuel. You know, it, ain't, it ain't fun to deal with that. But if you get the fresh stuff, it'll work. So what do you have in the house? A pot of oil wasn't much. It wasn't much. And it's just a teaspoon, really. And it was probably a cruise. I don't really have like a cruise today, but you, you know them things that like you have on the table sometimes. Grandma had on the table where you pour gravy out of, right? You use them to put oil in a lamp sometimes. So this doesn't really illustrate that, but this would work. Imagine just a teaspoon of oil in the bottom. That's what this lady had to work with. She had that much oil. Not very valuable. That's what she had. But he asked, what do you have? And she said, well, I've got this, this oil right here, this jar of oil, this cruise of oil. And he said, okay, uh, we're going to use that. If she went to the market with that, she wouldn't get very much. It'd be pointless. And that'd been the last bit of anything she had. But Elisha turns to her and he says, we're going to use that. And he said, what I want you to do, it took effort for this to happen. God could have just miraculously made the oil appear or the money appear for her to be able to work with, but he didn't do that. It took effort, and not only that, what she already had in her house in order to make this thing work. And so he instructed her, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and knock on people's doors until you get enough pots, borrow the pots, until you get enough, or jars, or whatever they got, until you get enough for what God is going to do. And so she went, she knocked on people's house, and she, and she said, I need, I need the pots y'all got. So you got any pots? I think you got one under your seat right there. You want to hand me that pot you got under your desire? Just hand me that pot. Oh, it's right there. There's a, there's a pot in I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And, and she grabbed the pot. 
And she, she's borrowing from everybody. That's what she's instructed to do. Now, let's imagine you going down your street and borrowing pots from all your neighbors. I need to borrow. Well, what are you doing? You're doing a potluck? You know? But she comes and she borrows them, every one that they have. And so she's knocking on Sister Debbie's door. You, you want to hand me your pot? Oh, that, that's, I bet you broke that in on Brother Josh, didn't you? That's good. That's good. Amen. And so she's stacking up these pots and she's going around and not just pots, but she's getting jars, anything that'll hold oil, right? And so she's got them all, and she's got her sons going around the city, and they're asking for pots. And she just got, Sister Kim, you got a pot that I can use. Awesome, awesome. Any size pot will do, you know. And she's, and she's got them all together, and finally she's got them stacked up, and I guarantee you it was a lot more than what you got before you this morning. She's got all these pots that she's went around town and borrowed. And Elisha tells her, what you're going to do is take your teaspoon of oil, your cruise of oil, and you're going to go over there, and because you've done what I've instructed you to, you're going to turn that cruise over and start pouring oil. All that should do by our standards is transfer a little bit of oil from here into a new container that she got. But what changed the whole situation, she could pour that out in her hand, she could pour it, you know, in somebody else's cup or something like that, but what changed it was the fact that she made a place for the oil to flow. Before it ever started flowing, she made an available place to be filled up with oil. That's what changed it. And she tipped that thing over. And I want you to just imagine her house filled with pots. Filled with everywhere. And her heart's probably beating fast. And she comes up to that jar. And she does what the prophet says. And she tips it over. And the oil starts to flow. And it keeps and it keeps flowing until the jar is overflowing. And she turns to her son and says, bring that other pot over here. She never stops it. He brings the pot under it, and it's still flowing. And that pot fills up. She scoots that over, bring another one. And that one fills up. The next one fills up, and the scripture said that she asks the boys, bring another pot. And he said, that's all of them. They're all full. And it wasn't but about the moment that he said that that the oil stopped because it was just enough for what she brought. Now what, what, what's the story and all that? God is only going to pour out the oil enough to fill up what we make room for. What does that mean this morning? If I come into Sunday morning service or if I'm in my prayer room at the house, or whatever I'm doing, and I constrain God to say, this is how much oil I need in my life this morning. That's all you're going to get. But if you make the effort to make room for oil, that oil is not going to stop until it fills up everything you've made room for in your life. And so my thought this morning is, I want to clear out my thoughts. 
I want to clear out my heart. I want to clear out my spirit. I want to clear out maybe the junk that I've heard at work from people that they don't live for God, you know, and, and they're living some other way. And really, they'll let their speech be whatever it is that they want it to be. Just junk coming out of their mouth. All that I've took into my spirit. I need to clean it out. I need to clean it out. And not only that, don't just constrain God to a little bit, but Lord, fill me up. Fill me up. I'll make room for what you got, God. I want more than just that standard amount, Lord. I need the oil in my life. So what do you got to do? You got to empty yourself out. The Lord uses empty vessels, not just any vessels, empty vessels. Empty. There's a song that says, empty me of everything that's not like you. And then the, the bridge says, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your anointing. That's where I want to be this morning. If it don't belong in here, I want it out. If it doesn't belong in this vessel, the Bible calls it the temple of the Holy Ghost. Temple of the Spirit, the oil. I got to empty that out. How do you do that? You repent and you get it out. And that makes way for God to fill up as much as we've made room for. How much room you got for God to work in your life today? How much room are you going to allow God to work in your life? Amen. Let's stand together this morning. You receive an initial infilling of oil when you receive the Holy Ghost. But oil has to be refilled whatever you put it in. You get you a new truck and you put oil in that thing just how it's supposed to be. Congratulations on getting that right. But you can drive the wheels off that thing and eventually that thing is going to shut completely down if you don't change the oil in it. Awesome. You got that initial filling of oil right. But there comes a time when we need fresh oil. I wonder this morning, can anybody use some fresh oil in your life? Could you use just a refreshing? Lord, there, there's a lot going on in this world. There's a lot taking place. And I need some fresh oil in my lamp to be able to get through it. Amen. Would you lift your hands right now? Lord, give us fresh oil. Fill us up, God. Clean us out of anything that doesn't belong, Lord. I know that there's maybe some folks that are in this room that have gone through it in, in one way or another. They're dealing with issues in their life that nobody else understands. But you see it just like you've seen that woman. You see the family that has served God, been faithful, done what they're supposed to do. And I believe today that you have an answer to that. It's in the church, God. It's in your oil. You can fill up. You can fill up. Amen. Somebody make a decision this morning. I'm going to clear out some more room for God to fill me up this morning. I'm not going to let it be like every other Sunday, but I'm going to let God have some room to really fill me up with His Spirit and pour oil into my life. Lord, refresh us in Jesus' name. God, I pray that over the next 
several minutes, Lord, in this service that you would move into this house and let the cruise turn over and pour out oil in this room. In Jesus' name, Lord, refresh somebody. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Somebody.